Good evening. Uh, just a few more things uh, to announce that uh, I was at Buena Park Christian Fellowship this morning and uh, they were uh, wanting to send their greetings to you all and to invite you to their end of the year conference. So it's at Marietta Hot Springs. Um, it's a free conference. Uh, you go down there, they have a great facility. Rachel and Josh went last year, so if you want first-hand account, you can talk to them. They had a great time. Uh, great facility, a great fellowship down there, and uh, it's right here in Murrieta. So if, if you're looking for something to do, it takes place uh, in between the Christmas and New Year's. Uh, it's just three days, I believe. So they have a website. They just ask that you register and let them know you're coming so they can get a head count for who's going to be there. Uh, so they wanted me to warmly invite uh, anyone that's willing to come. Um, if you can't make it or, or if you want to go with some of us, we're going to the Believer's Bible Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, that's a little bit more uh, intensive as far as getting there. Uh, you got to buy a plane ticket uh, to Nashville. Uh, we're leaving out of Ontario and we got a plane ticket for around 460. Uh, so right now is actually a pretty good time to look. If you're interested in going, it's a great conference. And the same thing, you just have to register and, and let them know you're coming. That one you do have to pay for, but the chapel will reimburse you for the cost of the conference. Um, so if that's something you'd like to do, you can come and talk to me about it. Uh, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. And the same thing, it's the same time period between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so that's just two uh, things I wanted to put on your mind. Uh, the end of the year is coming, and it gets on us quick here at the end. So uh, if you have a time and you would like to go, there's two options uh, for you to partake of. <clears throat> We're going to look at Ezra chapter 10 this evening. Ezra chapter 10. Uh, last week we finished Ezra chapter 9, and we just were looking at the sin of the people. Um, the whole purpose of going through this process, of going through these books, and the return from the captivity, uh, I believe it's important in how it relates to us as the New Testament church in our day and age. Um, it deals with a remnant of the people. Uh, it's not the entire nation, just those that have a desire to live spiritual lives that come back to Jerusalem and Israel and uh, have a desire to rebuild the temple. We see that you cannot have sacrifices and offerings without a temple, without an altar. There was a place that God had put and instituted, and they needed to return to that. Uh, today in the, the church, we have the Word of God that we turn to. We have the person of the Lord Jesus that we gather around. This is who we come to. It's not a place. It's not a building. It's a person. So the, there's a lot of similarities in this time period for the Jewish nation as there is to particularly us as the New Testament assembly. Um, they didn't really have as many prophets come through. They didn't have a king at the time. They were under rule of another nation. There were certain things that when they were asked to do it, they had to go consult the word of God. They had more scripture available to them that they could search the scriptures and find out what needed to be done. Um, Ezra is particular in this. Uh, you had Haggai and Zechariah that were prophets that came to stir up the people to see that the temple was completed. But at this point in time with Ezra, we don't see any prophets coming through. It's just Ezra. And he was a priest, so he had the qualification by birth to be a spiritual minister on behalf of the people. But he was also a teacher, and he was a student. And we see that he achieved this by study, by personal desire, a burden in his heart and a purpose in his heart, not only to know the word of God, but to do it and to teach it. Uh, I think there's plenty of us that would like to know the Word of God, that would like to teach the Word of God, 
Um, not many of us probably are willing to say that we want to do the Word of God in a consistent manner. We would say these things uh, vocally, but the purpose in our heart may not line up with the words that we speak. So what we see in Ezra was <clears throat> a desire to live a spiritual life. He realized that if he was going to lead the people spiritually, he himself would have to be spiritual. Um, it, it's a, really a, the truth even in our families, in our homes, in our communities. If I want to lead my family in a spiritual way, I have to be spiritual. If I want to instruct my sons and, and my wife to be holy, I have to be holy. This isn't a hypocrisy thing where I can just tell you what to do and you have to do it. Uh, this is something that is shown. This is something that is learned. This isn't something that, you know, do as I say, not as I do. It should be do as I say and as I do. Um, this man, Ezra, a particular character that we see in the Old Testament that just had, thanks, Ricky, the, the burden to do things according to the word of God. And he knew if he was going to teach it, then he would have to know it. And if he was going to teach it, he was going to have to do it as well. One of the interesting things is, in this Old Testament period, there's so few people. And the good thing about that is it doesn't take such a large movement to get things accomplished. Um, one of the things we see with Ezra was it was pretty much just him. We're going to see a few other people come up and partake in helping the nation. But in the beginning, it starts with one man who has a spiritual burden for the people. Um, and that should encourage us this evening. It doesn't mean that we need hundreds of thousands of people to start a movement. God wants to work in one person's life. God wants to work in your life. God wants you to be holy his. God wants you to do according to his will. You don't have to worry about everybody else. There's something that God is able to start with one person, and we're going to see that Ezra is a catalyst in these things, but that Ezra was a very humble man, and that he didn't have to stand in the forefront and do everything himself. He, all of a sudden, is going to take a step back in Ezra chapter 10, and there's other people that are going to come forward and start helping out in these things. And I think the Spirit of God does that in order that one individual would not be propped up. Um, there's a tendency we have that if somebody um, is, is gifted, if somebody is charismatic, if somebody is um, favorable, that it's like, well, just tell him he'll do it all. Um, tell her she'll get it done. That's not really how the Spirit of God wants to work. The Spirit of God wants to work in fellowship with one another, that we would work together, that we would show that the Spirit of God is behind the work that's going on here, not just this individual. So what's interesting, <clears throat> as we've gone through, we see these cycles for the people. They make a good start, and Satan attacks. And there is um, an offer for compromise. And we see they reject that offer for compromise. Then there is discouragement, and we see a great many people get discouraged. And then in order to keep them from working, Satan makes them comfortable, gives them homes to build and work to do and things that where they focus on themselves. And all of a sudden, the work of God is left still in shambles. So God sends a prophet, and we see they get stirred up. Well, there's a problem. It's not just about doing the work. It's about doing the work in the right way, having the right attitude. And so a man like Zechariah comes along, and Zechariah prophesies. And it's, it's about getting these people in the spiritual mindset to do God's work God's way. And then all of a sudden there's a, a break, and generations go by and backsliding starts. 
and we get to the point that we are here. And what may have started back then as a small sin with just a few people in this intermarrying and this marrying amongst the nations has all of a sudden grown to the problem that we've seen in chapter 9. And we see that Ezra doesn't beat the people up. But Ezra goes before God on behalf of the people. And Ezra fulfills his duty as a priest. And as priests in the New Testament church, we are to go before for our brothers and sisters and to intercede and to bear one another's burdens and to love one another and to encourage one another. So I just want you to see that there's so much value in this time period in the Old Testament that if you look at things according to the situation that it's in here and you try to understand out of all of the history of the Jewish people, we have this information given to us. And we have this information given to us for a specific purpose. How does God want us to take that? And how is God speaking to us in that? And we would be kind of in a situation where we would come here and we would think, okay, I've just come to learn. Well, yes, you have come to learn. But every one of you is going through a certain circumstance in your life at this given time. And I hope you've come tonight to hear an answer from God about how you would want to go about your next few days. I don't know how God does it, but it seems to me that when I am in a difficult situation, when I've had a hard time, when, when I have doubts, when I have different things and I come in and I sit down and hear a message, it's almost as if God had prepared that message just for me. So I hope you've come this evening with those worries in mind, with those doubts in mind, with, it, with whatever you have in mind, hoping to hear from God this evening. And I'm not going to necessarily speak it to you, but it may be found in his word this evening. And I pray that you would be encouraged. Because what we're going to see is that God desires a people that if they're lost in sin, to return to him. God desires confession of sin. God desires repentance, true repentance. God desires a relationship, and it's interesting that he desires a relationship not only with himself, but us with one another, something that makes him happy. Um, when Noah and Ben fight, it doesn't make me happy. When they play and get along, it makes me very happy. I think God the Father feels the same way. So we're going to read Ezra chapter 10 uh, from 1 up to verse 17. There's a lot of names here at the end, don't worry, when you look at it, we're not going to go through all these names and try to look at things, but we're going to look at this portion here in Ezra chapter 10. It says, now when Ezra had prayed, and he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives, and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee, we also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Then Ezra rose up 
from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem, and that whosoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without, neither is this work of one day or two, for we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregation stand, and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city, and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, were employed about this matter, and Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, helped them. And the children of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest was certain chief of the fathers after the house of their fathers, and all of them by their names were separated and sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. And they made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. We'll stop there. There's something that the Bible speaks about when it speaks about sin. It always speaks about the fact that sin has consequence. And what seemed as a small thing at the time, and until Ezra got there, there were some people that had thought uh, this was wrong, but they didn't say anything because the leaders were guilty. The priests were guilty. What were they going to do? So nothing was said, and this sin continued. And now it's at a point where there's so many people, and not only is the marriage taking place, but these people have children. There's families. And we might think that this is a foreign concept living in the United States. You know, we don't marry multiple uh, spouses. Uh, we have one spouse, and you have to have certificate of divorcement and to marry another one. And there's certain laws that have been put in place to prevent things like this. Um, but in other countries, this is a very real issue that they have. Uh, somebody gets saved, and the, you know the man has four wives. And uh, what do you do about that? Um, and we see that in New Testament, according to the grace of God, there's been different solutions in different places. Uh, in some, they say that um, you know this man is a believer; he has four wives; he is to take care of them all. Uh, but he is barred from any leadership position. Uh, he's able to come into fellowship, but he cannot hold a leadership position. 
some say uh, you have to divorce the other three and stay with the wife you married first, and uh, that has to take place. Well, now what do you do with all these children? Um, so, you know, we might look at this and write it off as like, oh, look, you know, that's a terrible problem for them. But I want you to put yourself in the mindset of how serious this would have been and to compare it to your own life and whatever problems you have. And I want you to see that a people of back then that did not have the indwelling of the Spirit, some of these people may not have been true believers in the one true God, and yet they were serious about their sin. And they realized there was a problem and that they needed to do something about it. And as a member of the body of Jesus Christ, we should take sin seriously. These people were willing to separate entire families in order to make their transgression right with God. What are we willing to do to make ourselves right before God if we need to, if it's a problem, if there's an issue, if something has come up? And, you know, we often think of uh, serious sins, immorality, and things like this, but I'm talking about the sins that go hidden, um, that we can hide from one another, but we cannot hide from God. Sins like pride, sins like bitterness, sins like hating a brother or a sister, holding a grudge, Things that we might think, at the time, it's not really a big deal. But when it goes on for a generation, we've seen the effects. We've seen what can happen when it's not judged, when it's not dealt with. We've seen the pain that it causes when finally we try to do things according to the word of God. So what may seem like a small thing at the time has great consequence if left unchecked. So what's interesting in this portion is <clears throat> we left Ezra in the dirt last week. Uh, he, was, he was on his knees, hands raised, head bowed before God, pleading for the people. Praying, confessing. And all of a sudden, he'd been doing it for quite a while. And there were people that were around the temple. And it says that they trembled at the word of God. Uh, they feared the word of God. They took it seriously. And as this man, Ezra, was praying, they started to gather around. And people that were gathering around felt the sincerity of this man's prayer and the truth of what he was saying and the greatness of their God, and they started to weep. It affected them so much. They didn't just walk away. They didn't just keep on going with their daily lives. They realized that God was about to do something. And this man, Ezra, must have been sent to do it. So they start gathering around him. And it says, Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. So what began is just this one man, Ezra, in his own little uh, situation, has now turned into a group, and another man has stepped into what we would say the spotlight, this man Shechaniah. And Shechaniah, the first step we see in this journey to what we would call a revival, begins with confession. And Shechaniah just comes out and he says, we're guilty. We did it. We trespassed. We knew the law, and we did it anyway. I want to encourage you that that's the first step. One of the things that we practiced when we were at Galilee 
was getting down to the root thing in our lives that is keeping us from having a more faithful walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the one big problem, the one big sin in your life that is keeping you from living a full life for Christ? That's what we dealt with when we were there. And you kind of go about it in a, a very sensitive way at the beginning. But after three weeks with a person, you kind of just have to say, look, you know, this is what it is. And so what starts off for some people is saying, um, you know, they have a busy schedule. I get it. I get what a busy schedule is like. And they'll say, you know, sometimes people will ask me, can I help out with something at the assembly? And I just say that I'm busy. Um, but maybe on that day I'm not really that busy. But I just really didn't want to help out. So, you know, I'm, I'm busy in general, just not that day. And I said, well, we call that just lying. That's just lying. You're just a liar. And all of a sudden, it makes it very serious. And it's like, whoa, you know, I didn't realize that I was such a liar. And that I lie all the time. Um, you know, there were some people that, that had these things where they had, you know, one of the biggest problems we had at the program was anxiety. A lot of people had anxiety, worry, just constant worry about what was going to happen. And it's very much a, a product of, of American culture. Um, you know, you, you got to worry about retirement. You got to worry about your house, about your cars, about, you know, you need insurance for everything. Um, it's, this, it's this society that's built its whole self on worry. It's a huge organization that causes you to spend a whole bunch of money for things you may not actually ever need. But you do it because you're worried that if something happens and you don't have it, well, then you're stuck. So one of the problems we had was anxiety. And some people would say, you know, my anxiety actually helps me because I'm a procrastinator. And so when I procrastinate and it gets to the point where something needs to take place, my anxiety spurs me on to accomplish whatever I have to take place. And I said, does that work all the time? Uh, well, most of the time. Sometimes you fail and it's too much and it's overwhelming, and you don't know what to do. And the Bible teaches us to cast all our cares upon Christ. The Bible teaches us not to worry. The Bible teaches that worry and anxiety is actually a sin, that we have a great God in heaven, that we can come into the presence at any point in time, and if we have a problem, we just say, Lord, I have this problem. Can you give me the strength to deal with whatever you are teaching me in this? Can you help me to understand your purpose in bringing me through this trial, this temptation, whatever it is? We have a relationship where we can just talk to God, and God is faithful to answer us, and we don't have to worry. So there comes a point in time where we were talking with all of these kids at the program, and we were saying, are you willing to surrender what you think is an advantage for you because the word of God says it's a sin? Are you willing to give that to the Lord? And some of them at the time said, I have no idea how to do that. I said, well, it's going to be a, a, a consistent thing. You're going to have to check yourself. This isn't going to be a, you know, you're fixed and you're cured and you never deal with that problem again. It's going to be a problem, but you're going to have to purpose in your heart to deal with it every time it comes up. And you're going to find that the Lord keeps giving you strength every time, and you actually get stronger. One of the things that's, that's difficult here is this particular sin that's taken place is going to have a lasting effect for the women and the children that are put out. 
However, one of the impacts it's going to have is on the next generation to see that if we do the same thing, eventually one day this probably will happen to us. And we don't want that to happen to us. So we can see how the sins of one generation can sometimes lead the next generation out of those things if that generation that's going through it repents. We see if they don't repent and they continue, the next generation seems to continue. They just seem to get worse and worse and worse. So it's important that when sin comes into our lives, we repent so that we don't ruin the next generation that's coming right behind us. That we show them that when you sin, when you make a mistake, you repent. And God is faithful. And God will do great things. So this Shechaniah stands up. And the first step is he confesses. And he confesses on behalf of the entire people. When we go through the list of people, Shechaniah's name does not come up. It doesn't seem that he was actually guilty of this. But in the same way Ezra had begun to intercede for the people, Shechaniah intercedes for the people and confesses these things. And he says that there is hope. Sometimes when, um, when bad things happen, we get this feeling like there's no hope. Like it's going to be really, really hard. And what the Bible teaches us over and over again is that God has brought these things into our lives so that we would have hope in him, not ourselves, our own circumstances. And so we see that this man recognized that, yes, this is a great sin, and yes, this is going to be very hurtful, and yes, I don't even know how we're going to accomplish this, but because this man is willing to intercede and we're finally ready to take this seriously and obey the word of God, there's now hope. In verse 3, it says, Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. So this man, Shechaniah, is uh, proposing uh, what should be done. They should make a covenant with God. They should do according to the law. They should put away these wives and these foreign-born children. And he encourages Ezra, and he says, obviously this is a task that the Lord has given you to do, and you need to do it. And don't worry, we're going to support you in this. Um, And that's what leaders need. Leaders need the support of the people. Leaders need the support of those below them. They don't need, uh, you know, everyone coming out and, and giving their ideas of how it should be done and oh you didn't do that right or you didn't do this right Uh, the leaders need the support of the people and say you know this needs to be done and we're going to help you do this so this is what this man Shechaniah is saying so in verse 5 it says then Ezra arose and made the chief priests the Levites and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word and they swear Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. We assume he is the high priest at the time. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. This had such an effect on Ezra that he he couldn't eat, um, that he fasted. And sometimes what we need is a time of prayer and a time of fasting. Uh, Sometimes this is what is required. Sometimes things are that serious that it takes that much dedication to what we're trying to accomplish. And Ezra was going to be a leader for the people, and so he led the way in this. 
So this is interesting. Uh, we wouldn't do this today. Um, in this verse, it says, And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem, and that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. So everyone was going to be there. We see that uh, they lived in a certain time period under a certain dispensation where this was acceptable, and that Ezra was a man that actually had the authority to do this, that this is serious, you need to be here, and if you don't come in three days, we're going to take all your stuff, and we're going to remove you from the people. So everyone came, and everyone was there on time. And the, the hard part about this is these people, in a sense, had to be forced to come. Do we feel that sometimes we have to be forced to come to the meeting of the saints? Do we feel sometimes that it's almost like, well, now I have to go? And it shouldn't be that way. We should want to go. This is a situation that has taken place, an opportunity for the people to turn back towards God, to obey the word of God, to set things right, and there's... Ezra knows there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to be like, I don't really think it's a big deal. And we're just going to continue in sin. And, you know, we were just taken away in captivity. We just got back here. We just got our lives established. And you know what? You know, I'm old and, and I don't have to go. And that's something for the next the young people to deal with. They can handle it from here. And, they, you know, who, those who are interested should go. And what Ezra is showing us in this portion is that it's a sin that needs to be dealt with as a whole. And there are certain sins, even in our own body, that yes, it may be one or two people that were guilty of these things, but we have to deal with these things as a whole. We have sinned. Not you have sinned. They have sinned. We have sinned. We need to make these things right. And there should be a desire in our hearts to want to have a right relationship with God, because if we can have a right relationship with God, we can show forth his glory here on earth. Fulfill our calling. Do what we're supposed to do, what we were born again to do. In this portion, it's, it's so fascinating that there are so many people that take sin seriously. They go about it in such a way that they get full participation. And they're guilty of something that's going to drastically change their lives. And there are things that we try to do here. And it's like, can you help out for one day or two days on, on this and that? And it's like, well, you know. Uh, I don't know, you know. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be at the street fair, so I'm not talking, you know what I mean? I'm not, you know, so I just want to be clear. I, I'm not plugging anything or this or that. I'm just saying in general we need to think about these things. One of the things that's interesting in this portion is that he, we see that the leaders and the, the priests were guilty of these things, and the first people he makes swear are the leaders and the priests. And he says, you need to say that you're on board with this. It starts at the top and it's going to work its way down. <clears throat> What's interesting in this portion 
after they make this proclamation, it says, Then all the men of Judah, in verse 9, and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. Uh, so this was a point in time in, in the year uh, that was very cold and it was very rainy. And so you had all that. You, you made it a proclamation. Everyone had to be there. And guess what? Uh, the weather didn't help out. It, God didn't make it easier for you to go. It wasn't like, oh, okay, now that one person has turned and we have the spirit of turning, this is just going to be a walk in the park until we get all the way through this. Um, they couldn't even stand all day because it was so cold and it was so rainy and there were so many people and they realized they couldn't accomplish it in this day. So it wasn't going to get easier. This wasn't something that was going to be accomplished in a day. And so they said, Ezra, the priest, stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. So he doesn't just send them home right away. He makes them stand and he makes them confess that in fact they are guilty of this trespass. So even though it's cold, even though it's raining, and we have uh, men that are you know, beyond their patience level, women that are shivering, kids that are whining and complaining because it's so cold outside, he makes everyone stand and he makes everyone confess that they're guilty of this trespass. They say in verse 13, but the people are many, and it is a time of much rain. And we are not able to stand without, neither is this a work for one day or two. For we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand, and let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city, and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. So they go about this in a very intelligent way. They realize that these matters are going to have to be investigated. This isn't going to be accomplished in one day. This is not a simple work. Why would these matters have to be investigated? Um, there are some of us, uh, and I have been guilty of this more than one time, and I probably will be guilty of it many more times, that when you have the word of God there, you make, you make such strong statements that this is the way it is. This is the law. This is how it's done. This is what the word of God says. There are some situations that need to be investigated. We see that Rahab was a foreigner. And she not only was brought into the children of Israel, but she is in the line of Christ. We see that Ruth was a foreigner. She was brought into the people, the children of Israel, and she's in the line of Christ. There are many people that have been brought in that were not born of the nation of Israel, but that had turned towards God and made God their God and had said, this is the people that I'm going to be a part of. So this investigation would have to take place and to see that there were probably some people that had married foreign wives and had children, but that were being obedient to God. And they had forsaken the things that they were a part of and had, you know, destroyed their idols and now had come into the children of Israel. So not every situation was going to be as cut and dry as we may think. This was going to take some time. And the elders and the leaders and the priests were going to be responsible for all of this that took place. 
it's interesting that, you know, like I say, this is, I couldn't imagine really the magnitude of, of what was going on here um, and how this would have affected everybody. We cannot imagine that everybody was just happy about this, that everybody was overjoyed, that this was a simple matter, that they would just come into your house and say, basically, okay, your wife and these two kids are going to have to leave, and you're going to have to make provision for them, but they're going to be cast out of the house, they're going to be put out of the nation, and they can't have an inheritance with the people. And you're just sitting there and being like, okay, yeah, I get it. This was something that was going to have great impact. There are things that, that have gone on in this assembly. There are things that have gone on in our own lives that have been put off, that have been pushed to the side, that have not been dealt with, that do not come near the magnitude of, of what we're dealing with here. But yet we see the necessity of dealing with sin, the necessity of repentance. Um, like I said, we've talked about revival much in the past. We, we know that we are not what we should be. We know that we are not living this this glorified life of Christ where we have power to preach the gospel, to live holy lives, to encourage one another, to exercise our gifts, to function as the scripture has given, to, to uh, confess and repent when sin arises in our life. We're not living this, this Christian life that we all desire. Whether it's apathy, whether it's pride, whether it's bitterness, whether it's uh, something against a brother, uh, you know, a sin that you're not willing to give up, whatever it is, it's not being accomplished. And I want to encourage you tonight that maybe it's because there's, there's something in your life, and I'm sure each one of you individually has something different, but that each one of you individually may, in fact, know what that is. And some of you may leave tonight and say, I'm going to continue to hold on to this and I'm not ready to deal with it yet. But some may say tonight that I'm going to deal with it, and I know it's going to be hard, and I know it's going to be difficult, but I know it's what God would want me to do. So I'm going to do it. In this portion here, they realized that they weren't going to accomplish this in one day, and so this was going to take a, a certain period of time. It, it ends up taking about three months um, for all of this to take place. And we have a list of all the people that were, in a sense, uh, put on a list that they were to make a covenant uh, and say that they were, in fact, going to be obedient by the decisions of the leaders at the time, and they were going to put away their wives and these, these children. There's uh, 17 priests, 10 Levites, and 86 other men of the congregation that were guilty of this that had to be dealt with. Um, so it started at the bottom, and it worked all the way through um, the, the people. And I don't want you to think that when this work started, that everybody was on board. In um, verse 15, it says, Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, were employed about this manner, and Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, helped them. Um, that word employed in the King James, if you have it, uh, it means opposed. It means they didn't agree with it. It means that they tried to stop what was going on. And any, any work of God that is going to take place is going to have opposition. We've experienced opposition here in our own assembly. And the question is, do we stop and, and do nothing because there is opposition? Or do we have leaders in place that we trust to do according to the word of God and we support them? We see that this work didn't stop. 
And we see that one of the men, maybe the reason why he opposed this was he was one of the ones that was guilty. Not the other three, just one of them. And we have to imagine that this wasn't as cut and dry as we may think. You have one person that's saying we need to turn from our sin, and we have one person saying, no, we don't need to turn from our sin. I'm sure it's not that simple. I'm sure we have one that's saying, you know, uh, it, it is our job to teach the nations and to uh, teach them about our God and what better way than to bring them into our families and uh, what better way to, to reach more people. We can reach these nations now. We, we have one member of the family, now we're going to go get more and we're going to teach them about our God. And we're gonna... I'm sure they had convincing arguments as to why they opposed. You know, God hates divorce. Does, are you saying that a God that we've committed this sin and now we're just going to commit another sin in this divorcement? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So... It's not to say that the people that opposed just, like it was just written off like no big deal. But we see that there is a need when sin is recognized that it needs to be dealt with. It can't continue. It says, they made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. They started there in the tenth month. And it goes through a list it says, and among the sons of the priests there were found that had taken strange wives, namely, and it lists all these people, like I said, all the counts. And in verse 44, it said, all these had taken strange wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Uh, it seems as if that last verse wants you to catch the magnitude of, of what really has taken place. What we see here in this book of Ezra at this particular time is one man that was sensitive to sin, that was willing to go before God on behalf of the people. And from that, a turning to God has occurred that leads us into the book of Nehemiah, the reconstruction of the walls, and a small time of revival. But then there's failure to repent. And we have Malachi come on the scene. And it's amazing. Malachi seems to be dealing with the same issues that were going on here. There must have been someone along the line that fell back into this sin that did not repent. And we know how the book of Malachi ends. We have this opportunity here when confronted, and I don't want you to walk away from this and just say, I feel really convicted or I feel really, um, I don't know, sad. You, maybe you don't really know how you're feeling at this point in time. I'm tired. I'm tired of listening to this guy. You know, I just want to go home, and it's getting late, and, you know, I, I get it. The, the one thing I want to encourage you is that God is not doing this to make you feel bad. God is not doing this to make you feel sorry for these things. God wants you to experience a fuller fellowship with him. God wants more. And if we realize what God had for us, we would want more, too. And so it's this wonderful desire that we have to move forward together. He's given us a family that we don't need to do this alone. This isn't something that we do by ourselves in the secret place. This is something we confess and we encourage one another. We have an entire family here that's ready to help, that's ready to call, that's ready to be there. Take advantage. Not only do we grow closer together, but we grow closer to God. Opportunity, a little bit of hope. I don't want you to walk away feeling convicted and down on yourself. This is just an opportunity to turn back towards God and experience fullness of what God has for you. And we can help each other in these things. We see that what would have been extremely difficult for all of these men that had to put away these wives, 
It led to a time of revival for the entire nation. There are certain things that in our lives we may think is personal, ourselves, not, help, not hurting anybody else. Those things need to be repented of because that may lead to a revival here in our local gathering. Um, just want to encourage you this evening. Uh, we've gone through three books of the scripture together, and we've gotten through a major portion, these two returns of the people. Uh, Lord willing, one day we will continue into Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is very exciting. It's very good. And then uh, Malachi at the very end. So there, there's much here, but I want you to, to, to maybe come back to these books on your own and really see what the Lord has for you. I mean, like I say, this is, to me, as far as the Old Testament goes, this is like the most directly applicable portion to our current day and age and what we're dealing with. So I would encourage you all to look at it. Heavenly Father, we come before thee just thankful for all that you've given to us. Father, we're thankful most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has taken all of our punishment, that he has taken all of our sin, that he has gone before us, that Ezra, this man that interceded for the people, we have one better in the Lord Jesus Christ that has taken all of our sins away. And Father, all he desires is a relationship with him a full relationship, one without sin, one without things that are blocking our fellowship. And Father, we ask that you would put your finger on the sin in our own lives as individuals on our hearts, that we would be willing to repent from these things. Father, that we may experience a greater relationship with thy son and yourself, that we would have the opportunity to live for Christ, to live this life. And we understand that it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy because of it. We understand that there's opposition. We understand that there's difficulties. But, Father, we know that it is the greatest thing that we could ever do in our lives is serve you and have a relationship with you. We're thankful that your son has made it possible, that he has gone to the cross and shed his blood. And, Father, we ask that you would pour out on us a spirit of repentance, a spirit of encouragement, uh, that we would turn away from the things that have uh, caused this, uh, this time of perhaps apathy or this time of pride and bitterness, that we would put these things away. Uh, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have, and we pray that we would live lives that would glorify Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen.